Hello, and welcome to the Overland Journal podcast. I'm Ashley Giordano, and uh, we're hiding out from the rain at Overland Expo West, and I'm really excited. I have an adventure motorcycle couple here. I'm Marissa Notier. And I am Tim Notier. And we make No Tears Frontiers because it rhymes. And uh, we ride two up on a KTM 1190 motorcycle. Uh, So that means I'm on the back. I do not ride motorcycles. I don't even ride bicycles. We have been all over the world. We've gone to three different continents on the motorcycle through the Americas. We started four years ago down to the bottom of South America. And from there, we shipped the motorcycle up to Canada and shipped it down to South Africa and worked our way up through Africa, where uh, during the pandemic, we got stuck in Uganda and kind of ping ponged between Uganda and Kenya for over a year before we came back to the U.S. this May. Thanks to this week's sponsor, GCI Outdoor. Whether you're heading out for a weekend of adventure in the woods or to your backyard fire pit, GCI Outdoor gear is ready for whatever you have planned. GCI Outdoor has been around for 25 years, so they know what they're doing when it comes to the best in portable recreation gear. GCI has innovative products ranging from outdoor rockers to complete camp kitchens and everything in between. And with a limited lifetime warranty, you know they stand behind everything they make. GCI Outdoor Gear is comfortable, durable, and built for adventures, big and small. Try them out for yourself. Head over to their website at gcioutdoor.com and save 10% off your first purchase when you sign up for their email list. Thanks again, GCI. Nice. That sounds like quite an adventure. It has been. One of the fun facts that I learned about you two was that you were actually high school sweethearts yeah. originally. Were. And then you there was a decade or so that you were apart, but you reunited. This is true. Marissa went off to explore the world and I didn't really travel too much further than the hospital I was born in. But I had bought a house. I had a good job. I bought a motorcycle and Marissa was exploring the world and would come back every year or so and we'd reunite and she would have a lot of amazing stories to tell us about faraway lands. And <laughs> me and my circle of friends all kind of had the same same stories of, you know, just nothing very exciting going on. And you were originally both from Chicago. Just Is that West right? of, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Yes. And so you went to high school together. That's correct. And there's an amazing photo of you guys at prom (laughs) on your website. That is true. Yeah, that was quite a while ago. Um, Yes, we did go to prom together. But like he said, we did separate for 10 years. And uh, during that time, I was traveling and he wasn't. But one year I came back and I never forgot Tim. I never forgot his witty sense of humor. And I was just so happy to see him again and we kind of rekindled things and the rest is history. So did you, were you in contact when you were gone on your travels with each other? No, not really. She would come back. Um, Again, we had the same like circle of friends. And so we'd see each other at bars and kind of, you know, get that weird tingly feeling that like 15 year old <laughs> kids get, but now we were adults, but you know, it was, uh, it was always fantastic rerunning into her. That's right. And, uh, when we started dating again, he had this big, huge motorcycle. It was a Yamaha Raider 1900. And I did not like motorcycles. Like I said before, I cannot ride motorcycles. I cannot ride bicycles. I didn't like the feeling of being on the back of one, even though I had ridden on the back of a motorcycle before I told him, I'm never getting on the back of your bike. And of course, he eventually convinced me just to take a ride around town. And that turned into little camping trips over the weekend. We would pack up that motorcycle and had this 
big, heavy backpack that she I would wore wear. A, this like a Swiss Army canvas backpack with like a metal frame. Marissa is five foot nothing and a hundred and nothing pounds. And <laughs> strapped in this thing to the back of her back was a little uh, It wasn't comfortable, extreme. let's just say that. She was my sissy bar. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually we realized we needed something that would be more suitable to the type of camping trips that we wanted to go on. Chose a motorcycle that could carry the gear that we wanted to bring with us and also be a bit more comfortable and go on the roads that we wanted to go down. They had gravel, you know, we wanted something that would be able to handle that. And so we purchased the KTM 1190. I knew that its bike's capabilities were higher than my skill set at the time because, I mean, I just had a a cruiser motorcycle, so there's not a lot of insane, intense off-road that I did on that. But I knew that as my skill set grew, that the bike would be already ahead of the the curve of what I was learning. So I was excited to get an adventure bike with, you know, with high ground clearance and, and all that goodness. So and I, I think any bike that anybody picks is the right bike for them. But I yeah. feel like the KTM 1190 was a, a good fit for us. Yeah. What I was going to ask what specifically about that bike were you drawn to? Because you looked at other bikes as well, right? I did. And to each individual, there is a checklist that they must go down. And so my checklist will be different than other people's. Um, but for me, I didn't want it to be too heavy, uh, which once you get to a bike that big is already you know, we, we, we couldn't go too up with the amount of luggage we have on 650. And, and we've seen people yeah. going, but I wanted a, a larger displacement that could take us down highways at good speed, um, but also with uh, the capability of going down some nastier roads. And, you know, there's the Fave 5. And since I bought my bike, other bikes have come out. And there's a lot of variables that you as an individual have to go down. It was weight. It was ground clearance. And the biggest factor for me was financial you know, so mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily even have $15,000 to spend, but I would say like the Beamer was, was more than that. And so I, I convinced Marissa that we were saving money by, <laughs> by buying the KTM. Nice. So you bought the KTM and then did you do some weekend trips before you went on your first big trip, which was the maiden voyage? Is that right? That is correct. Actually, it was pretty much right after we bought the motorcycle that we went on this maiden voyage. We really wanted to test her out. We wanted to test our gear. And so we went around the Rocky Mountains. We took off some work about 18 days and we were able to hit up a bunch of national parks and it was absolutely incredible. But we also really wanted to test ourselves to see if we liked being on the motorcycle that long or being just around each other all the time. Because <laughs> sometimes, you know, I mean, it's a, a, you know, you watch long way up, long way down, long way around. Uh, you watch a lot of people's Instagram and YouTube and this and other thing. And it's, it's this cool fantasy that you're looking at. It's not a reality of where you work every day and, you know, and the shiny stuff that you see on YouTube that don't always show the dirt and grimy stuff that they, they don't put on on their channel and we wanted to be sure that we lived through some of those as a couple as a team before we quit our job you know like we the worst case scenario is we quit our jobs we decide to go you know around the world on this exciting adventure and then six months into it we look at each other and say are you enjoying this like, <laughs> yes. i am not enjoying this you know so <laughs> 
That would have been awful. But thankfully, on our little maiden voyage, we found that we had a lot of commonalities as far as what we'd like to see, as far as nature. We're, we're both huge into nature and we were growing our off-road skills together, which is nice because if I came from like a dirt bike background and I was used to doing crazy stuff and she was not, right. that would have been a lot more stressful for her. So I also think it was a really good test because we went through a lot of very trying weather. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of rain for days and days and it was very, very cold when we went. We did Beartooth Pass. We went through some very chilly areas, you know, through Yellowstone. And for me personally, I do not like the cold and wet. I felt that if I had survived that and I had really enjoyed it as well, then maybe if we went on longer trips, I would also enjoy that. I felt that it was a good yeah. test. But at the same time, we also learned that we needed new gear. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah those trips can be a great proving ground for gaining experience. For sure. Yeah. So what did you guys, obviously gear was one thing that you yes. learned while you were on that trip that you took forward into your subsequent trips after that. Mm -hmm. That's right. Actually, everything that we used during that trip, we did not bring on our big voyage. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. And I was still bright eyed and bushy tailed about the future of what our motorcycle adventure could be. And I did go to the expo here in Flagstaff back in like 2017. Yeah. I'm from Chicago. And so this is going to sound ridiculous, but I thought Arizona is just a big desert and it was going to be hot. And so I came woefully, woefully unprepared. I was freezing cold during the night and I woke up and I asked other people if they were also cold and whoever said they weren't. And then I dug into what type of gear they had because as Marissa alluded to earlier, she does not like to be cold. And so I knew that we would have to up some of our budget friendly gear to actual gear that works. And I don't think you have to spend, you know, thousands of dollars to get that gear, but there is definitely a difference between very, very budget yeah. and uh, something that is actually going to be good throughout many years of very hard use. Yeah. And so I came back home and told Marissa, hey, we're about to spend a lot of money, you know, but uh, we still have the same gear that we bought forever ago after we tested our original gear that completely failed us. And so yeah, quality gear has paid for itself three times, four times over at this point. What are a few of your favorite pieces of gear? So Marissa. <laughs> My favorite. <laughs> is our down quilt because like I said I don't like to be cold and so um, I had never experienced a camping trip where I had not been cold at night before and when Tim came back from that expo he said I'm going to buy this down quilt I know it's expensive but you're gonna love it and he was right I do love it um, it's a quilt so it doesn't have the under portion of like a normal sleeping bag it's for two people it's just like a blanket that um, is over us but because it doesn't have the the under part, um, the down doesn't get compressed, making it pretty much useless. So, nice. uh, yeah, I, I love that quilt. It keeps us very, very warm. No. Another thing about the maiden voyage around the Rockies that I think was extremely important is that it really inspired us to go on this longer journey. Right. We realized that there are people out there who actually do this, who overland full time and who get to experience all of these new places and new cultures and meet new people. And that we realized is what we wanted to do. Yeah. And so after we came back home from that trip, we started planning and we thought, OK, maybe we should should start uh, saving money, you know, really hunkering down and saving money for a few years so that we can continue the trip past the Rocky Mountains, maybe go to Mexico, maybe go beyond that, maybe go as far south as we can. Yeah, that really started us dreaming of this 
voyage that we've been on ever since. Nice. And I know, Marissa, you had done extensive travels before you guys got together again. Uh, Whereabouts were you traveling through? I did study abroad programs all over Asia. Primarily when I was backpacking by myself, it was in the Middle East. And so I had been familiar with being in new places and experiencing new cultures. And I knew that I really, really loved that. But I was concerned for Tim because he hadn't really traveled at all. Uh, The only other country he'd ever been to was Canada. And that was at a very young age. He didn't even need a passport back then. I was just concerned. I was concerned that uh, we were going to quit our jobs. And after all this saving, we were going to get on the motorcycle and we were going to hit Mexico and we would want to turn back around. No faith. (laughs) (laughs) But that obviously didn't happen, which is great. But you obviously spent some time budgeting. And I think one of the biggest questions, especially at events like this, if I've been sitting on panel or Marissa and I have done panels together, one of the most common questions is how people afford to do this or how to budget or how many, how much do you spend per day? And how did you guys figure out all of the details surrounding that and make it happen? That's a really good question. And yeah, we do get asked that a lot. We figured that, you know, we also talked to other travelers and wanted to know what their daily costs were in certain areas of the world. Since we first wanted to go through Latin America, we knew it was going to be a lot cheaper than traveling in the United States. We wanted to do primarily camping and our own cooking in the United States to save on costs. But from there on out, we were able to stay in some hotels. It really works out to be sometimes better than just living in the United States. Mm -hmm. A year in these countries traveling can cost less than just a year working in the United States. And during our little daydream uh, budgeting, you know, eyes on the prize and the distance, I found a very basic Excel sheet that somebody had made that was, you know, enter in the amount of miles you plan to go with gas costs, with how many people, with whatever. And it was pretty much you just plug in some numbers and everybody's budget. You can spend as much money as you want. And people, there's people who spend less money than we do, but it was just a good tool to get a good average. And that's what we kind of based what we thought we needed their savings to be because we had no idea whatsoever. Um, we did host a, a German world traveler, Christian Vogel, and yeah. he traveled the world and it was, he said he only spent like $24,000 or something in a year. That was one guy. And so for us, we only do have one motorcycle. So it's not double the, it's not double the gas, but it is double the food. But again, so it was just law of averages of what we assumed we could, you know, save up to travel. We saved for like five years years under the assumption that we could travel for three. The first year would be all of the Americas. The second year would be the width of the African continent into Europe. And then the third year was us getting to Mongolia. And financially, we're on track. But Nice. I was going to ask, when you did the original calculations, how accurate were they to the realities of traveling? Actually, very accurate. Nice. I think we even right on. spent under what we thought we were going to spend. Yeah. Great. But, but the, the, <laughs> well, the time, like, I mean, we would have, we would be in Mongolia by now if we did what we planned. And I do suggest everybody, we had more time than money, right? But uh, I would not, what we thought we'd do in one year, we spent two. And I would not trade a day of that or some other alternate Tim who actually did the timeline and what country he was going to be in because we just absolutely love spending as much time as we could on each, yeah. con- like South America, mm-hmm. I could have spent, I could still be there and still be happy. Like, yes. you know. Yes. Right. So we did go twice as slow as we thought we would. And don't but- regret a 
second. Yeah, we don't regret it. So yes, financially per year, we kept on track, but we also have done half of the distance of what we thought we would have done. Right, right. Cool. Marissa, we talk about this on the Women Overlanding the World or Overlanding Women panel, and I love it. So I wanted to bring it up. But you spent some time in the Middle East and lived in Syria and you speak fluent Arabic, right? I do. Yeah, that's incredible. (laughs) But we talk about the benefits on that panel of being a woman and traveling overland. Mm -hmm. I'd like to hear your experience in those countries and what experiences you were able to be a part of because you're a woman. I think this is a wonderful question because all too often... Uh, When it comes to female travelers, a lot of the focus is on safety issues and some of the negatives of being a female traveler. There are also a lot of positives that we have discovered. As I backpacked by myself, I discovered that in the Middle East, a place where you would think a lone female traveler might not be the best place to travel in, it was actually really remarkable for me. I was able to not only kind of go into the men's world because I was a foreigner, they just accepted me in their shisha shops and everything, but... I was also able to enter the women's world and kind of get behind the curtain because they have little guest rooms that they have in all of their houses where the guests are allowed in. But nobody can enter the rest of the house unless you're a woman. Because if uh, it's a Muslim family, that's where they take off their veil or um, their headscarf. And so only women are allowed to see that or family members. And so I was allowed into their world and it was really incredible. But it wasn't just when we were backpacking. I've noticed that just being a woman traveling with Tim as well has offered us plenty of opportunities because I think uh, having a woman there softens the vibe a little bit and families are a lot more willing to invite you in to have tea and coffee or uh, introduce you to their children. And uh, we've been very fortunate with all the people we've met, but we've also had that opportunity to immerse ourselves in those cultures. And I'd like to think that being a woman had something to do with that. Yeah. What were the experiences or what did you learn from going behind the veil, I guess, so to speak? Like, what what was it like well, back there? Well, <laughs> I'll tell you something. Some women who would wear burqas or completely cover their bodies and some of their face, uh, it's all very mysterious. And you wonder, what do they wear under that? And yes. I can't speak for every one of them. But I've seen many women, you know, in the bathrooms or in their homes, they take it off and they are wearing some stylish clothes. I've seen (laughs) mini skirts, you know, the high heels, the whole thing. So um, this is kind of what they show to each other. And they have female parties where they're all, you know, dressed out. And you would think, oh, wow, this is a club, you know, just without men. (laughs) So it is quite surprising. And spending that much time in that part of the world, you learned a lot about the culture there. What are some things that you can share about that? I really love the hospitality of people in the Middle East. Uh, You find hospitality everywhere, but they are on an incredible level out there. Uh, I really can't wait to get back there just because they are so welcoming. And as an American, I was quite nervous about going there. Just politically, you would think that a lot of people would have this automatic judgment about me. The truth is, I found that most people can really separate the person from their government because that's how they see themselves. They're not what their government does. And so 
uh, they would completely welcome me and just take me on as a fresh new person, regardless of what country I was from. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) Oh, you're very welcome. So you guys drove from Chicago to Ushuaia and then you went from Cape Town to Kenya. And Tim's written a few books. Mm. When did you start writing? Did you start during the trip, after the trip? And what inspired you to put pen to paper to record your journey in that way? I wrote Maiden Voyages, our little trip around the Rockies. And I wrote that more for myself and my family and just to make myself kind of giggle. Just for no, I I didn't (laughs) foresee me writing future books but uh i was really inspired by like sam manicom he's just an, an awesome guy he's a mentor and then when we did all the way down to panama i started taking more notes and and writing i actually didn't finish that book until we were in tanzania it was just awesome to relive our own experiences as i'm writing the pages and again i'm glad that people are buying it and they like it but it was originally more for me and it was just a an after effect diary memoir that i wrote it's just been really fun writing and I never thought that that would be something that interested me. I, I can't spell very well, but I'm surrounded by... <laughs> That's what good editors are for. That's what good editors are for. No one can spell. But, yeah. But uh, no, it's it's been just fantastic. And South America was just too wonderful, wonderful of a place not to write about in full detail too. So I've since written a, a third book. Yes. Yeah. I've really appreciated it because you remember all of these little things things that I think I would have forgotten if it wasn't for you writing it down. And so I get to read these books and just giggle (laughs) and just reminisce about it all. And that is one of the joys of traveling is taking those pictures and in whatever way you can, recording your journey, whether it's journaling or having a blog or making videos, and but a, looking back on it. Yeah. And like Marissa and I would discuss, you know, when I'm writing chapters and where was that place and this, that and the other thing. And it's just really interesting how she is less than a foot behind me and the different yeah. experiences that we've had through different countries yeah, and like her outlook on certain scenarios and mine it's just it's like it was separated by a hundred years and a million miles but it's, <laughs> yes. it's, uh, it's really good to combine that is so true it's yeah. all about perspective another wonderful thing about traveling together is that we've been able to talk to each other about things that have happened in the past or say oh doesn't that remind you of Colombia or sometimes I meet solo travelers and everyone travels in their own way and some people really appreciate being on their own and it's a personal journey that they wouldn't trade that for the world but for me I am so thankful that Tim has been with me every step of the way and I get to relive everything with him through our memories. Yeah, I don't think I would be on the road still if she wasn't behind Aww. me. And, you know, I mean, yeah, like she said, people have their own personal uh, rites of passage when they go by themselves. And I'm, that's not an incorrect way of doing it. But for my personality trait, I am very thankful to have a, a cheerleader behind me, Aww, a, a translator, you. a photographer. You know, she's an all-in-one package of a good support crew. Thank you. (laughs) You guys are so cute. I love it. By the way, for the listeners out there, there's a video that was captured in, was it uh, Yellowstone or Yosemite? That was Yellowstone. Yes. And uh, so we had been on the road uh, doing our little tour and I... It was our maiden voyage. And I had a little special gift for her the whole time. And ironically enough, the night before... 
before we had just gotten into a semi argument about children and marriage and what the, you know, would you say yes if I proposed to you? And she said, I don't know. Would you or do you plan on having children? And, you know, it was it was big questions, big yes. questions. And the very next day it was when I was planning on proposing to her <laughs> at Yellowstone and I already got a pre I don't know. <laughs> But, oh uh, no, you're sweating and shaking uh, yeah. in your motorcycle boots. <laughs> She's, she was sitting on the ring the entire time because I hit it underneath the, the pillion seat. <laughs> so little did she know. But uh, we took a nice, lovely hike down by the uh, Grand Canyon of Yellowstone or what do they call it? Was it? Uh, I think so. I think that's correct. Yeah. yeah, it's a beautiful yellow canyon. And we got to a, a very nice point and there was a lovely woman that was walking in the opposite direction. And I said, hey, can you snap a photo? And I proposed to Marissa and she said no about 14 times but <laughs> but but here's how I said it I said no 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 so yeah I realize after the fact that I never actually said yes yes but I, I did later you know <laughs> yes I remember so we met for the first time at Expo Mountain West yeah I just love chatting with you guys and then I went on to your website afterwards and I saw that video and I felt like I sort of knew you but after the video or during the video I was like tearing up oh, and like no. almost crying I'm like oh my gosh <laughs> yeah it was so cool That's so I have to awesome. check that Thank out you. but um yeah so the most recent uh journey you were on was the Cape Town to Kenya mm-hmm. trip right and COVID affected right. that trip a little bit it was bit. supposed to be Cape Town to Egypt and then from Egypt we would Turkey. somehow find a way over to Eastern Europe and then go through Europe you know that was the plan we had everything sorted out we had all our paperwork the car and if anyone knows about Carnets, that's no easy feat. And uh, we were very excited to make our way through Ethiopia and into Egypt. But yeah, we got to uh, Uganda and the world froze. But mm-hmm. that's right. Silver lining to, you know, scenarios. Uh, we had at that time been on the road for three years and we've adjusted to that lifestyle, obviously. But it was nice to play house again with each mm-hmm. other. And we rented a house for seven months. It was a very basic home. So it was. <laughs> It wasn't, it wasn't luxurious, but it was very nice. You know, we had to go shopping together and we had to cook our meals as a team and wash yeah. dishes and a bed and we had a living room. We were like normal people. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was really, it was just, it was nice to play house for the first time in a long time. And it was also nice that we had like, you know, there was a cat that had two kittens. And so we yeah. raised kittens for, oh, well, you know, and it was just, it was. We were very, very fortunate. Yeah. Because the whole world suffered. And we suffered as far as stress over the news and our family and everything in our own ways. We also counted our lucky stars every day because we had gotten stuck in an area of the world that was affordable for us to get stuck in. And that also welcomed us with open arms. There were a lot of countries that would have kicked us out and it would have been financially very difficult for us. And uh, but instead, Uganda and Kenya both welcomed us and we became part of the communities that we were living in. And we really felt like we lived there and that um, we can say we lived in Kenya and we lived in Uganda. We've spent months um, in a single place in Mexico and Guatemala. Sometimes it's nice just to park the bike and rent somewhere 
there and you know just settle down but in in Uganda and Kenya we we lived there and it was it was amazing it was amazing and it was such an opportunity to really immerse ourselves in that culture our original plan it wasn't by any means fast for overlanding but it was to spend a year in Africa and we probably would have zipped through Uganda and Kenya pretty quickly instead we spent over a year in both Uganda and Kenya wow and so that was such an opportunity looking back on it to you know learn the local foods and a little bit of the language and, and uh, laugh with people I was very fortunate in Africa because English is a uh, you know a lot of people people speak English whereas in like South America I missed out on a lot of the cultural experience that Marissa would giggle and the ladies would laugh and I'd just <laughs> sit there and kind of smile thumbs up in Africa I was able to engage with people it was you know kind of poor timing because uh, not as social when the pandemic just hits everybody's right. kind of concerned about each other but uh you know it it was nice to be part of a community um even if it was foreign that's right and also if it had happened at the very beginning of our trip i think things would have been very different how we felt about it but at that time it was not unpleasant to take a break right. from traveling and uh it was very refreshing sometimes i think pacing oneself is extremely important to overlanding because it really depends on how much time you have some people have to take off work and only have a very limited amount of time and try to cram in as much as they can that is you know one way of doing it but we have discovered for ourselves that we like to really take rests yeah. in between a lot of traveling that was the longest streak we've had <laughs> in the four years that we had a toilet every day and yeah. a shower every day. <laughs> so every, that luxurious. Was, I know, yes. right? It was it was amazing. And it really recharged us to want to experience the world again. Mm -hmm. Sometimes after a lot of traveling, people can get jaded and, you know, Burn you out. see so many waterfalls and you think, yes. oh my gosh, I can't see another waterfall. And that's a shame because they're beautiful. And so it was nice to take a break and to you know, just watch Netflix, just do normal things. And so that when I see that next waterfall, I'm just completely amazed and in awe. That happened to my husband, Richard, and I when we were traveling through South America it, with the ruins or in yeah. Central. Mm -hmm. We're like, oh, another set of ruins. <laughs> and we love going to ruins, yeah. but it just becomes the new normal, I guess. Or yeah. even yeah. in Patagonia, some of the hikes that we did that were absolutely incredible. Uh, there would be hikers that would that had come and flown in and they hadn't yeah. done the driving part. Yeah, exactly. And we had seen the section already. And they're For like, sure. this place is blowing my mind. Yeah. And we're like, yeah, it's pretty and it's awesome. Yeah. But you could tell we needed a break because it is yeah. if you're long going long term, it's a marathon, not a sprint. And those rest mm -hmm. times are really important. And sure. to be able to go up back and appreciate everything. It's a good reset. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think some of that is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like you said, just having that reset, just yeah. taking your time so that you're all starry eyed again, once again, when you get to see that yeah. fresh new thing. To me personally, I can see every ruin and everything. <laughs> Each and every one of them is like a unique fingerprint. And I'm like, oh, but this one's got a little Spanish moss dripping off the side. And oh, this one's got a weird face carved in it, you know. 100%. You know, and, you know, waterfalls and just, you know, I'm always, I can never see enough elephants in Botswana. There was never mm -hmm. time like, oh, there's the 181st one, you know. So <laughs> sure. it's like, you know, I. But like it's to, possible even for you, you know, it's oh, yeah, all no, about sure. pacing. There are those things that remain special every single time you see them for sure. Yeah. Yes. What 
was the most powerful insight or experience in that section of Africa for you? Like, what did you learn about that region when you were there culturally, I guess? What's really interesting, and this isn't about culture, this is about nature, Mm. but um, Africa is just such a great place when it comes to nature. And when we had gone through Namibia, we had done a little four by four self-drive safari through Atosha National Park, which had all sorts of incredible animals. It was amazing. But we had tried really hard to see a rhino and we hadn't. By the time we got to Kenya, it just turned out that we were living 20 minutes away from the last two northern white rhinos. And there was a whole reserve full of yeah. rhinos. And there was a blind oh, rhino called Baraka. Baraka. And we fed him carrots. And it was oh, kind well. of like my Christmas present to her because we did a horseback ride through the conservatory with rhinos around us and it was you know i like jokingly asked our guide i'm like so you ever get charged by a rhino thinking to be like oh oh, oh, stupid question he's like yes all the time you know like oh "Oh my god you know i was like wrong answer buddy wrong answer they had given us some really big horses thoroughbreds and warm bloods and i thought oh that's unusual you know because we only ride whenever we can but we're not experts or anything and then i realized afterwards no they need these huge fast horses to get away from the Rhinos. But if yeah, my, my riding skills are the horse must probably can get away, but I'm gonna fall off. And, <laughs> oh gosh, but, yeah. But we we lived. We did not fall or anything or get charged. Though one rhino was pretty close to it. I think one of my favorite cultural experiences when we were in the same area of uh, Atosha, Namibia, we had stopped by a Himba village and we seen like three on the side of the road. And by the fourth one, I was like, that looks kind of cool. Let's pull over. So we pulled over and we take the little tour. And you know, these are the the women with the red clay in their hair and the incense and very wonderful people, very happy They're with little babies and all this. And as we're leaving, a gentleman asked us, said, hey, this this woman and her small child actually need to get to the gates of Atosha. Um, would you by any chance give them a ride? And we we're like, well, heck, heck yeah, we will. You know, and they had to put down like a blanket because she was covered in like red. We were in a car at the time because yeah. uh, we you can't go through Atosha on a motorcycle because then you're just a big cat toy. That's right. right. Um, it's good to know. Um, but uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and she couldn't speak much English at all. She can be like giraffe, you know, and we oh, go, oh, there's a giraffe. But it, her just smile yes. and, and her little baby in the back. And it was just like most tourists do not get the opportunity to give a an Uber ride to a, <laughs> a himbo woman to a, one of the most beautiful national parks we've ever been to. Or That's in- right. And that's also one of the takeaways that I have from Africa is just the positive attitude of everyone. Yeah. Even during the pandemic, during a very dire time, people were smiling and just always happy to see us. Yeah. They're very resourceful, uh, always positive, even if they have so, so little and very generous with it as well. And I think like I'd give you the shirt off of my back is a, a statement that is way overused here in the States. And yeah. people who we've run across, South America, Africa, you know, they'll see that my sunglasses are scratched of all hell. And they'll, you know, be like, oh, take my sunglasses, you know, and it's like, no, 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 buddy, that's OK. Don't worry. And he says, no, it would be an honor if you took my sunglasses to Europe. And then I could tell my friends that my sunglasses have made it to Europe, you know, and I'm just like, it's just, it's just amazing. The the kindness. And obviously you look at us and we, we have more money than them. And Mm. you know, it's just, it's humbling. It's very, very humbling to know that the generosity and kindness of, of people. We're going to take a brief break and we will be right back. 
This week's episode is supported in part by iCamper. They make innovative hard shell and soft-sided roof tents that are designed to survive long-term overland use. Their revolutionary X-Cover won the Overland Journal Editor's Choice Award, eliminating the bulky PVC cover and also allowing for the fitment of crossbars for carrying bikes and kayaks. Their SkyCamp Mini is another award-winning design that provides a hard shell tent in the footprint of a much smaller clamshell model. This is the perfect solution for smaller vehicles or on vehicles where rack space is dedicated to other systems. iCamper believes that the best times are those spent traveling, discovering the world with those you love most. You can find out more about their quality tents at iCamper.com. Awesome. Thank you. So Scott Brady, when he's hosting this podcast, he asks everybody what their favorite book is. And I love that question. However, that's not my question. I have my own question (laughs) for you guys. I'm asking everybody uh, on each podcast episode with me, if you could travel to any country today and also we're in a pretty busy area, so I think that's a motorcycle or something ripping around outside. Um, okay, we love motorcycles. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you guys could travel to any country today, which would it be and why? There would be a big asterisk on my answer just because I haven't been to all the countries. And so I would, there's a bunch of beautiful countries that are in our future that I'm very excited for. But my favorite country that we have been to is... Peru, because I think it's just an adventure motorcyclist haven. There's the Andean mountains and we just, I tried to do as many passes through there as we could just because it was some of the most beautiful scenery. I've, I, I mean, I would just look around and I rode there myself from Chicago and I know exactly how I got there, but I'd look around and I'm like, how did we end up here? This is, this is surreal. This is beautiful. So I'll answer that according to countries that we've been to and a country that I've never been to. Yes. For Tim, he chose Peru. And that was also, in my opinion, just naturally mind blowing. But I loved Colombia, particularly because of the friendliness of the people. And it was also naturally really, really beautiful. But mostly the people, they were just outstanding everywhere we went. So positive and so, so friendly. Um, And then as far as a country that I've never been to, drop me off in Mongolia. And I think that would be pretty exciting for me. (laughs) Anything that ends in Stan is my, you know, that that whole region of the world looks like it's going to be very fun to ride through. So Mm -hmm. that's my my wish list. Um, you know, and this whole journey to me, I need to see castles. There's no castles. In the States. <laughs> yeah. Desperately trying to see castles to get to Europe. And it's it's momentarily paused, but we will we will see castles soon enough. That's right. That is in our sights anyway. Nice. True. So, Tim, if people want to find your books, what are the name, the titles and where can they find them? So I have written three books so far. There's Made in Voyage and then there is Two Up in Overloaded, which is very fitting to our journey. That is from Chicago to Panama. And then the third book is Blood, Sweat and No Tears. And that is from Colombia to Ushuaia. And they are available worldwide on Amazon. Perfect. And then if anybody wants to find you on the internet, where should they go? We have Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. YouTube. And if you search No Tears Frontiers, our lovely faces will pop up. (laughs) That's correct. Awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you guys so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you. uh, It's been wonderful. Yeah. I'm sure the listeners have learned a lot about adventure motorcycle riding. It's a really inspiring story you guys have. Thank Thank you. you so much.